she punches Colin. Oh, just bang! <laughs> I think her feet leave the ground when she does it, because he's way up there, too. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast. Oh, they know that by now. <sighs> what episode are we on? We're still doing it. We, we have to be professional. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a recap podcast of, of a show called Midsummer Murders. And if you don't know that, why are you listening? The end. If your kids can't handle that show, they can't handle us. I just thought it would be nice to be professional. Okay, go ahead, do it. Guess not. Go ahead. Anyway, we got some merch. No, you can do it. No, go no. ahead. No, no, we've done it now. <laughs> We're leaving all of this in. <laughs> oh, but we've probably just robbed some people who've listened to every episode and who say it right along with you. That's good. They'll have to wait till next week. <laughs> now you're just being stubborn about it. Yep. Oh, what episode number is this? Episode 67 which means we're into the second half of episodes and season 12, episode one. Yes. So of all of the existing aired Midsummer episodes, we are past the middle mark. No. No. I explained that before last week. Except for the, oh, the ones that haven't been aired, but the have six been. that are filming right now are included. In, oh, you're counting those. Yes. Okay. Because they will probably be out by the time we get there. I would hope. Yes. So... <laughs> Maybe the poor people in England will have seen the last two of season 21 by then. Yeah, well, yeah, because we can't talk about them if they haven't aired everywhere yet. <laughs> Jeez. A, a million UK, UK listeners are like, we know. We know. <laughs> we agree completely. We have always seen it. You still don't understand my Chinook joke. I know. <laughs> Chinook. <laughs> uh, as you've already alluded to, yes, we do have merch. Uh, T-shirts, sweatshirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, hats, you name it. Masks, masks with the sucko fox on them. All we, the money going to charity. We are selling like hotcakes. We, we are definitely going to make our charity money. Don't say that. People will stop buying stuff. We are definitely almost going to maybe make our charity. Boy, we sure do hope that we're going to make that goal. Oh, oosh, it's We'd close. Love to send that money for Christmas. We promised to direct to them a child and that money. So... <laughs> We got plenty of the kids. We got that covered. We do. It's just a matter of which one do we want to send them. Second half, so 66 episodes, eight mini episodes, and a trailer we've done so far. Yeah. Which is 75 videos, and the average length of our videos is one hour and seven minutes. Wow. Which is, like, some people on, I've, I've talked to people about doing podcasts, they're like, I do a 30-minute podcast three times a month. I'm like, we do an hour a week. <laughs> Slackers. Yeah. <laughs> we're thinking about this, not only because we've hit the halfway mark, we're past the halfway mark, but also because, oh, it's the time of year when your Spotify says, hey, here's your year in review wrap up. Yes. And they call it wrapped. The and Spotify wrapped. They shove into your face all of the time that you've spent with earphones in over the last year. Some of us actually enjoy finding out what we listen to. And you know, I do normally, but not this year. Okay. Because it is such an atypical year that it didn't really tell me anything other than I've been home a lot 
And I guess. I've listened to more audiobooks and more Spotify, not less Spotify and more Stitcher. More Stitcher? Yeah, because I listen to more podcasts than I do music. But I'm switching all my podcasts over to Spotify. There's plenty that are not on one or the other. So the ones I listen to tend to be there. But Spotify also has wrapped that's special for podcasters that only we get to see. Did it tell us anything interesting? Uh, Our Canadian listenership grew 325%. So what that means is we went from one Canadian to three? One Canadian to three and a quarter now. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, and why don't your people love you, Mark? I don't know. (laughs) 216% in the UK and 92% in the USA. A podcast that doubles its listenership every year is phenomenal. That's good. Yeah. Too bad we're halfway through. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The more, more interesting than any of those numbers to me is that we are listened to on Spotify in 31 countries. That's amazing. That's Stunning. Hello to all you people everywhere. All across the airwaves. What blows me away, and we're not trying to bore you guys. This stuff is really exciting to us, and we just wanted to share it with you. What blows me away is our average daily download numbers mean that on average, every hour, two or three people are listening. So right now, two or three people somewhere in the world are listening right now. Oh, and on release days, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's see... Five or six. No, like 12. An hour? 12 an hour. Shazam. That's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's awesome crazy. But you guys, man, release day, you guys are there. Yeah, I think it's just that they've subscribed. And so when it comes out, their app grabs it. Well, and I also know that I hate it when a podcast I listen to either disappears or is irregularly coming out. Yeah, You never know when it's coming out. And it's just the fact that we're regular, mostly for my sanity. <laughs> that we're consistent every week yeah. for the release. I think that makes a big difference. Yep, it helps increase re- uh, stuff. Uh, one of the fantastic Spotify uh, statistics they gave was we had an increase of 816 hours. They didn't explain what hours were. They didn't explain <laughs> what hours meant. I assumed uh, it was your year felt like it had 816 more hours in it. <laughs> then why did it go by so fast? It, uh, the, this, the time warp year that is 2020. It has been fast but slow. That we will forever talk about. We yes. will forever talk about. Next year, we won't talk about this. We'll all get the shot in the arm, bang, back to work, dancing in the clubs, going to concerts, going on trips. Awesome. Hey, yay. And then after 2021, everybody will talk about 2020 forever. There will be a million 2020 movies. Yes. It will and just books. Be like, and news stories. And we also had 188% increase in listeners and 129% uh, increase in followers, which I think is fantastic. That's great. Yep. We're glad you guys are all with us. It, it's so much more fun knowing that people enjoy podcasts. And we're getting close to 50,000 downloads on our main downloader. And YouTube is, YouTube's weird. Like one day we were the hottest thing on YouTube. It was like this huge spike that threw off all of our accounts. It was like 704 people watched our videos that day. I'm like, why? Why? 
I think I've done that to people before. Like when I used to teach social media marketing stuff, I would aim all my students at something. I would say, you know, I want you to watch this as an example. And I would be teaching like two sections of it. And so then they would share it with their friends. And so overnight I would generate like 500 hits to something all from Indiana. And I'm sure somebody wondered what happened in Indiana that everybody wanted to watch our video? I know when we mentioned Lovejoy actually and Pogliwood Mur- Murders, they both contacted us going, thank you. We noticed. <laughs> we noticed. Thanks. You sent your 20 people our direction. We appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> the dog leg murder. Uh, I learned something this week. What did you learn? Once a month or so, I go on to Google Scholar or some other academic source. And just look for Midsummer Murder, just to see if anybody's mentioning it. Yes. In their publications, their academic publications. Yes. And one that came out recently that just hit the Google Scholar list this week was one about the internationalization of British crime dramas. Oh. And where they are aired around the world and how how people in other countries understand England via crime drama. And I learned that it has been running in Italy for a long time, and it's called, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't speak Italian. We're sorry, Italians. El Ispettore Barnaby. It's Inspector Barnaby. That's yeah. what they call a it A lot in of Italy. countries are Inspector Barnaby, like all the Scandinavian countries and Germany, I know it's all Inspector Barnaby. Yeah, that's interesting. And they don't have to change the name if they start airing the episodes with John Barnaby. It's still. Never mind. Inspector Barnaby. They made up the word midsummer, so. (laughs) (laughs) This episode filmed July and uh, June and July 2008 and broadcast the 22nd of July 2009 to 614 million viewers. Peter Smith directed it and Nicholas Martin wrote it. Are you stunned that an all-male team created a golf episode? I, I... I'm not going to say that golf is an all-dude thing. It's a very all-dude episode, though. It's very all-dude and all-dude things. There are three women. Yeah. One we see for one scene, and she's happy her husband's dead. The other one is a young, rich twit. And then there's the nasty lady. Though, like, okay, young, rich twit, up until the very end, when... Colin goes, I've got this money so that you'll like me now. She's like, um, no. She goes, no, that's not how it works. And then runs away. (laughs) And she gets a tiny bit of respect then. Yeah. I don't want your piggy money, Colin. (laughs) Piggy money. Piggy money. Okay. So we're at the White Oaks Golf Course. Yes. And we've got the two factions. We've got the members. Yes. And the townies. Yes. Though we didn't, we don't really get into that until later. No, all we know is that the fact that there are these two groups makes Alistair Kingslake really mad. But what doesn't make him really mad? So Alistair Kingslake, and this is going to be a repeated theme in this episode, is played by somebody who has been on Midstummer before. Rupert Van de... Van Sittart. Van Sittart. Trouble with his last name. Who is... An excellent character actor playing an asshole. Clearly, they said, (laughs) can you come on this episode? And he goes, I can be there two days. I could do the golf day and the morgue day. And that's it. And they're like, all right. Okay, that's that's all we need need you for. But (laughs) if you're only going to be on the golf course for one day, we need you to be really, really jerky. Not just a little, really jerky. 
He just he eats the golf course. He doesn't we eat want the you scenery. to ooze jerkdom from every pore. Just he's the like, way he looks. He looks around yep. like an asshole. He's like, I got it. I'm on it. I can do that. <laughs> Why does anyone hang out with him? I don't. I, I don't know. They don't the, have to golf with him. And the other guy, who's clearly the gay guy who almost gets killed at Tully? the end. Tully. Yeah. Who is like? Well, he's very fair. He's what? He's a fair bully. <laughs> no, he's not. He's a jerk in every possible way. There is nothing redeeming about him. He's got a nice yellow shirt. Yeah. He and he has a nice motorized club. So do they all in yeah. that group. Yeah. Okay. So Rupert Vandestart, I looked into him. First of all, he's an actor that has no controversies. He's been married for a long time to the same woman. He he went to acting school and then he acts. Yeah. And that's what he does. There's nothing to indicate that he nope. is remotely a jerk in his nope. Real life, but man, is he good at playing one. He's super nice. I, I saw an interview where he talked about Game of Thrones, and uh, he said he's never seen a, an episode of Game of Thrones. He's he's a guy that you can tell. He's, he's there on time. He reads his lines and he gets out. Yeah. And he says his daughters really love that he's in Game of Thrones. They love it. And so he's like, that makes me feel better that... My daughters actually like something that I work on, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm pleased by that. He barely does any interviews. He's just a very private man who likes to act. Let's talk about periscopes. Okay. So the whole idea is that there is a hole called Crisp's Folly. Mm-hmm. Now, the hole at Crisp's Folly, there is a right-of-way path that yes. goes over it. Yes. And so there is a periscope so that you can see the T, and it, which is the... Green is below the T. Right. You need a periscope on a golf course when the elevation changes suddenly and you need to be able to see if people are playing through coming at you. Right? Yes. Yeah. So the periscope help, lets you see that. The only time I've ever seen a periscope and used one on a golf course was the opposite. You're at a T and you use the periscope to see the green so that to you make can sure make the people sure ahead of you are done. People are off. Not that any of my tee shots came anywhere near the green. <laughs> you didn't hole in one? No. Ever? Well, come on. No. I'm going to say right now, Mark knows a whole lot more about golf than I do. For a very short period of time, I thought, because I work at a business school, it would be smart for me to learn to play golf because I thought, this is this is where big decisions are made, is on the golf course, you yep. know? And I thought, I'm going to learn how to play golf. Because I have been playing. Because you you already played, and I thought, I'm you're going to teach me, and I'm going to learn. Yep. And literally, the first time we went out to actually play golf, as opposed to just the driving range, which yep. is where we started with me. I yep. hit balls in the driving range first. We went out early one morning. Nobody should be there. We're going to play. I'm going to suck at it. I know that. I don't want to be there when it's busy. I'm going to have to hit the ball like 19,000 times to get it anywhere near the green. Yep. Who walks up behind us but my future boss? Yep. This man who is absolutely sweet but is sophisticated. And on the second hole, you hit me with the ball. (laughs) And he asks to play with us. And of course, we can't say no. And I'm like, well, there goes that job that I really, really want. (laughs) Because this guy's going to see I'm a numbskull. And he, we, I told him, 
I don't play. I'm, this is my first time really playing. And then he was so nice and was like trying to help me and everything. And I thought, okay, this is going to be all right. Then on the second hole, I hit the ball and I actually hit it well. And it flew right into Mark's calf, his bare calf, and left a bruise the size of a golf ball that showed up immediately. It was there. Boom. Black and blue. Boom. I'm like, hide it. Don't let him see I hit you. Don't. And you couldn't hide it because. It was my fault. You had a purple golf ball in your leg. (laughs) It was my fault. I shouldn't have been anywhere near there. I still got the job. Yep. It's okay. Excellent. (laughs) Needless to say, I've got a little bad taste in my mouth about golf, though. So Chris's folly is this hole. And they call it that because Crisp, way back when, the great-grandfather or whatever of the character in this episode, placed a bet with somebody on that hole and lost his house in a bet. Yep. That's not folly. That's stupidity. Yes. That is arrogance. And technical issue here, it is a dogleg hole. Which means it has a sharp turn, yes. right? Yep. And that's a court. They made a sign for this hole. It's impressive. Yeah. What's not impressive is the yardage they give is 388 uh, for the white, yellow is 378, and red is 359. And when you're saying those colors, those are tee-off points? Tee-off points and yardage. Okay. What that means is the red tees are supposedly 30 yards distant from the white tees. No, they're right next to each other. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... No way is that 30 yards. So is that so if you're not as good, you get to start a little bit closer to the hole? Well, I did a little research and there are a number of different types of color. Because I've never seen that on a golf course, that there are different places to tee off at. Because you've only ever played on a par three. Yeah, like baby golf. And everybody (laughs) hits from the same point. It's baby golf, I know. And I still suck. So So black and gold is the furthest away from the tee. That's like double diamond. And that is for championship play. So like if you go to the Masters and you play on television, you start on the black. Yes. Right. Blue is for usually the club champions. Okay. Okay. I've never seen blue before. White is usually denoted for... Mostly, and this is difficult, men, okay? (laughs) So an average dude starts at white. Yes. And then red is, and this is where it comes into problematic (laughs) situations, red is usually called the ladies' tea. Well, why isn't it pink? Uh, (laughs) Jeez, if you're going to be sexist, go all out. I'm happy it's red. And is yellow like babies? Now, for me... (laughs) Or women who aren't very smart. For me, I'm generally happy... Wives get to hit from yellow. I'm generally happy if my tee shot goes past the red (laughs) tee. That asserts my masculinity, I guess. (laughs) I can hit it 30 yards. And then green, which I've never seen, is for juniors and beginners. I'm like... I need to find more green tea. Yeah. <laughs> so those, as far as I can tell, have been around almost from the beginning of golf. It makes sense that they would have yeah. those starting points that vary Yeah. when you have such a big course. But it's clear, at least in one shot, when they tee off, when this group of guys tees off, that the yellow and red are right next to each They're other. You can right. see them both in the same shot. They're like standing between the, them. There is a shot of the red, white, and yellow all together. Yes. Like, 
Now, in some holes, like par threes, they're usually right together. Yeah. Maybe Colin's yeah. sneaking around moving them <laughs> to make it more difficult for people. So so we have the, the member golfers, mm-hmm. the local town local members. Yes. The village members. Yes. There's a lot of members. Non-members. Right? Yes. And then the people who work at the golf course. Yes. Which seems only to be one family of right. people. <laughs> and Clyde. Yes. <laughs> the drunk. So Darren works in the pro shop and is, but he's teaching. He aspires to be fancy. Yes. So he's, he's teaching Becky Tunstall when Clyde, the golf pro, is too drunk to do it. And I got to, Becky does a good job of acting. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a smart, intelligent young woman. I don't know if she's been in other things. Played by Holly Gilbert. She is perfect you, for that role. You don't like her right away. No. You don't dislike her. No, but, but she is. She doesn't have any she's depth. playing a part. Yes. And then Colin, who I'm a little worried about Colin. <laughs> like Colin needs. He's Franken brother. He needs some help. Yes. He does. Okay. You know who really needs help? Their mother, Eileen. Okay. Because she's horrible. She is. The fact that she treats one of her sons the way she does and the other one completely differently. Never mind beating them at Cold Comfort Farm. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Chickens running around. She punches Colin. Just bang. I think her feet leave the ground when she does it because he's way up there too. He's terrified of her even though he drives that big Toro lawnmower. Oh man, he could macerate anybody he wanted to run over with that thing. I've driven one of those. Hey. I've driven because I worked very briefly at a golf course. And it's got extra wide tires so it doesn't leave dents in the greens, right? Yep. Yep. Extra wide tires. Yeah. So they live at Cold Comfort Farm. If you haven't seen the movie or read the book, Cold Comfort Farm, you're in, you're missing a treat. Yes. You should absolutely, uh, I think we've put it in the show notes before, but I, I'm a little worried that they're weighing money. <laughs> yeah. She's, the only thing she's missing is one of those um, money counters that drug dealers use, that they just yep. put the money in and it just yep. counts it for them. She's got her little rubber fingers so she doesn't have to lick her finger. Yeah, but they and then weigh she, the money. then she weighs it to double check it. That's just another way of doing and it. Then, and then all the money is counted and banded and everything. But then at the end, when Colin pulls it out and purposely knocks over the box. Yes. <laughs> It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not in bands. It's all loose and just yep. in big piles. And they never shut the door in that cold comfort farm. No. The never. door is wide open all the time. I have a question about their farm, the Fountains okay. Farm. Okay. What is the purpose of keeping one pig? Okay. So the the purpose of keeping one pig is that you kill it at the end. You feed it all year and you kill it at the end of the year. So and it gets all the kitchen scraps all year. Yeah. Instead of a compost pile, you have a pig. Yeah. And then you have it slaughtered, and then yeah. you eat it over the year. And it's a sow. It's clearly a sow. So they may have a, another pig come and do the business with it mm-hmm. to get little pigs. And they sell the little pigs. Sell the little pigs, maybe. But right now, that pig is just there to stand over the money. <laughs> It's a guard. Never mind the fact that, okay, I'm going to get a little gross here. Pig pens are gross, not because they're full of mud, but because they're full of pig shit. Because there's a pig in there all the time. Yeah. Shit and urine, right? Yes. <laughs> That's where they do it. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Becky would have never made it past the no. <laughs> Oh, my God, Becky. Look at her. 
pig pen. Oh. <laughs> never mind the fact that. Again, she would never have opened the gate and walked in. We're talking about the end of the episode now. You realize that, right? <laughs> Colin would have raked a pig. Yes, because it, not only does he dig around to bury the money over and over, of. but he just sits in there. The pig yeah. is his only friend. <laughs> and it doesn't even seem very interested in him. Then we go to Will Tunstall's house. Mm-hmm. Which Pellings again, again is the name of the home. Again, we see another familiar face here. Why, yes. Uh, Will, Will Tunstall, played by John Standing, who was also in Bad Tidings. Yes, he played the... Season 7, the, episode 2. The guy who Charles was... Charles Rust. Charles Rust. He was the school teacher and then gets killed. Yeah. So he owns the house, and Martin Chris wants it, and that's all that's important here, except for Martin petting the house. Did you notice that at the end? He's petting the house and talking to it. Yes. So Martin's family lost the house on the bet, on the dogleg hole, right? And after a couple of generations, he has decided that it is his responsibility to get the family home back in the family. And does he have a family? I don't know. Other than just him? I don't think so. We don't see him. There are no wives except for Vanzatart's wife. Yeah, except for Kingslake's wife, who just goes, ha ha, he's dead, yay! <laughs> she might as well be tap dancing. She's, she's boxing up his golf trophies. He's been dead for hours. Yeah. And she's already putting them away. <laughs> There's not a tear on her face. She's like, ah, oh, well, the old jerk's gone good. Yeah. She's done with that. And this thing about the house is the central part of the episode, which, and we'll get to this, this episode is kind of thin on story. Yeah, it, it's a very simple plot. Yeah. There's the golf course, the people who want to be members of the golf course, the people who are, are and aren't, and then there's the house. That's it. You know what we're missing, though? What? We're missing an episode of Midsummer. Okay. The episode of Midsummer we're missing is where the tennis club treasurer kills his wife. Oh, <laughs> No, murders his mistress. Yes. Where is that episode of Midsummer? There is one. Is it a Midsummer? Or is it another show? No, no. There's no tennis episode. I double checked. It's not a tennis club, but it's uh, people who play tennis. No. Okay, we do. Because, and you bring it up, and now I can't remember the name of the episode. But the one where the girl gets injected with the stuff and dies on the lawn in her chair... Yeah, but that's a tennis, he says. But they play tennis, and the guy is playing tennis when they confront him and arrest him. Yes, but she's not his mistress. No. <laughs> anyway, you're going, you're, you know what? You're way off course here. You need to get back. Okay, to the course. course. Yes. Okay. So we've got townies. we got Playpole and Kemp. Ruddy yokels. <laughs> and just their existence makes Kingslake mad. I wonder how much Vanzatart is given here. Like how much direction they give him about how nasty he's supposed to be? Because he's really good at this character across a number of shows. Well, and he's mean to everyone. Yeah. He is, he bullies the people he's playing with. He's nasty to the people who work there. He's nasty to the townies who get to play. Never mind. Okay, so they let townies, non-members come and play on Wednesday between 8 and noon. That's it. They That's get four hours a four week. Four hours. They get to play, and yet they've got a pretty nice clubhouse. For people who are only allowed to be there half a day a week, they got a cool place to hang out. They do. They're they cool. A, de- they're a decent bar with 
good prices on drinks. And it has a television from 1948 <laughs> and a VCR from even earlier than that. Well, it only plays old golf shows. So oh, wow. Okay. Which they, they made that golf show for this episode. Yes. I could not find it anywhere. Though the, the guy who's in it demonstrating swings, he's an actual like pro golf player. He's yeah. an OBE and everything else. Yeah. He also has, he also, Kingslake does this great thing that bullies do where he has a special name for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He can't just call it money or dollars or pounds. It's a ton, a, a, what does he call? Two ton, a grand, a demi grand. Demi grand. That's it. I love that one. It's a metric. I've heard a ton, but a demi grand, I think he made it it's up. It's a metric. <laughs> and he pulls out a Sharpie to mark his ball. And my very first thought was, I hope it runs in his pants. <laughs> I hope it leaks in his pocket. And, why, but why the, doesn't he just write his initials on it? Why does he put three lines? I don't on know, it? but he is an amazing actor because you hate him and you love him. At the exact same time. <laughs> How is that even possible? Because he has that precise level of nasty. Yeah. Because he was too nasty in the other episode. Yeah. But when that ball hits him in the forehead, you're like, oh, it's on now. <laughs> it goes, donk, right against his head. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> he takes his one iron Okay. Into the woods, right? He loses yeah. his ball. The ball he, comes back. So he's hits playing him in the with, head. with a foursome. He's yeah, including he's, drink water. Drink water. Tully and Monkberry. Yeah, right. His the the poor guys who, for some reason, bear his existence. Now we don't know why drink water is called drink water because the only other drink water we is have. Peter Drinkwater, who's played played by Orlando Bloom way back when, and gets a pitchfork to and the. They're guy. in no way related. I Though, wouldn't think so. Drink water. It, It's not a common name. And he's from the third episode. The he plays the guy who cuts his throat. Oh yeah, he plays Esalen Carmichael in Death of a Hollow Man. He slits his own throat on stage and makes Joyce scream. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he he they're playing this dog like hole. He hits the ball. It you know probably it went off into the woods. He's looking for it and suddenly it flies out and hits him in the head. And you're like, uh oh, it's on now. So he grabs his one iron and goes into the woods to find who threw it at him. Right. Yes, which is the wrong club to take. Okay, so <laughs> why is that golf guy? Why is that the wrong club to take? Okay, if he is where he is, which is by the periscope. Just slightly in on the rough. Mm -hmm. That's where he's supposed to be because the killer takes his ball off of there. Right. Um, He would hit with a wedge to get on the green. Oh, but he he grabs it after the ball hits him in the head. Yeah. Right. So So he's not picking this up because he thinks it's the right club to use to hit himself out of the rough. But the one. He grabs it because it's a weapon. The one iron. it's not the best club for a weapon, right? Yeah, it is. The one iron has the biggest solid head. They're on a golf club. Why wouldn't it be the, your driver? Because the drivers have hollow heads. Oh, so they're bigger, Unless but they're not they're heavy. made of woods, but I checked. His drivers are metal. So they'd <laughs> just be like tonk. Yeah. Instead of thwack. And. <laughs> they're whippier too, aren't never, they? Never, never dealt with in this episode properly. Most of those golf clubs would fold immediately, like hitting once. Like the golf club would fall apart. Like bend in half. The shaft would bend, yeah. I would think. Yeah. They're not meant to hit really solid things. <laughs> like a person. Like King's Lake's head. Like King's Lake's giant head. <laughs> he is another guy with a big head, small body. Mm-hmm. But 
we know, we spoil it, we know that Crisp is in the woods waiting for him. And he- Dressed as a ute. Yes. He's got a hood thing on, a hoodie. It's a atrocious blue color. Oh, blue. What a horrible color, blue. Which- Stands out from the green. I know. It's the worst camouflage color you could wear. When Jones is chasing him, do you notice there's a person in the background in a yellow shirt? Yes. (laughs) But that blue sweaty sweatshirt is like it. it, Just pick green or tan. Either one would have been so much better. So much better. But then you wouldn't look like a Ute, you know, running in the woods. Well, I'm going to keep it hidden in my golf bag. <laughs> yeah, a big hoodie in your golf bag. Along with this bloody club. Worst criminals ever. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they, they have no trouble figuring out who the killer is. Yes. But we're supposed to assume that Crisp just happened to grab his own one iron. Yes. As his weapon, because the only way we know that there were two weapons is that one is left-handed. One is left-handed, and then the rest of the hits are with the right-handed club that belonged to Kingslake. What's the difference between a left and right-handed club other than the orientation of the head? Nothing. So if you just turned it over in your hand and hit somebody with it, it would look just like a left-handed club. It's a mirror image, not a, like... Not a reflected. Not a. It is a reflected. A reflected, image. not a, not a. So it would face the other direction and be angled in the opposite direction yes. too. Yeah. Okay. You could, in fact, tell that. So you'd have to hold it backwards, upside down, and then hit them with it. <laughs> I guess. Like you're playing croquet with it. Maybe. What? And they'd have to hold real still Maybe so you could hit them that way. Do some experiments. We should get a pig corpse and hit it with <laughs> left-handed golf clubs to see. Okay, Miles Tolly does some acting here because, first of all, only one person on this golf course has a cart. Mm-hmm. It's a buggy. Tom calls it a golf buggy. <laughs> I love that Tom hates golf. <laughs> now, they have mechanized carts, mm-hmm. but they don't have a golf cart. Right, they've got motorized carts. And, and that's because how- it would be too hard to. Pull it on wheels. Well, see, it's this weird thing. There is this thing in the community of golf that real golfers don't use carts. Right. They don't ride to the next hole. They They walk it. They walk to the next hole. But they don't have to carry their clubs. But like Kingslake's (laughs) clubs, like he might as well have a remote control. He's out there with Rodney Dangerfield in... In Caddyshack. You could straddle that thing and ride it to the next <laughs> hole. <laughs> Which would be very funny. <laughs> so Miles Tully runs back to the clubhouse. And did you notice he got a stitch? Yes. Because he's not used to running. <laughs> he's not used to running. He's like, something uh, bad. <laughs> At least Monkberry is like, Kingslake is dead. He's been murdered. Okay. Tully's just like. Bad stuff happened. Bad. So, so I have a I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time Tom's in a bunny suit? No, I think it is. No, we've seen him in a paper suit before. We said we have. Yep. Oh, he was in a bunny suit in the house with the man and wife. The man yep. who fell down the stairs. Yep. So, yeah, we've seen him in a, a paper suit at least yep. once before, if not twice before. Yep. Meanwhile, Jones is like. Job? What job? I'm going to sit here and talk to these people about golf. Um, it's a casual way to interview them by 
swinging a club while you talk. John Cotton's a member here, the chief super. Is it the same guy playing yes. Cotton? It is? Okay. Yes. Why he doesn't, you know, take Tom off and say, you know, you'd be doing a better job on this if you took our team building exercises yes. more seriously. Didn't Tom. you get my email? No, my computer broke. That's not how email works. <laughs> Tom should just say, I don't believe in email. Jones reads it. I don't look at it. <laughs> they put the flag at half-mast for Allie. It was nice. Aw. The spatter on the back of Kingslake's shirt is great. Yeah. And spatter is hard. It's actually, it's cast off is what it is. Yes. So the difference is spatter is like blood flying and droplets and splattering against a surface. Whereas cast off is when you swing something, the blood flies off in a line. Mm-hmm. And so on the back of his shirt, it, it's lines that end with a dot, yeah. right? So that it's cast off. Yep. Now, and he does a fine job as a dead body in the woods. Yes. He does a better job. He's face down in dirt. He does a better job in the morgue. And we'll get to that. But mm-hmm. he does a fine job. With that yellow shirt. It's nice. It's a nice yellow shirt. It, the contrast between the, the cast off and the yellow. And the blue hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> blue. What a horrible color. Jones has a card. Jones is so funny in this episode. He is. I love that he understands golf and George understands golf and Tom purposefully does not understand golf. Well, and Tom doesn't is not interested in He doesn't want to play tennis. He doesn't want to play golf. He doesn't want to play badminton. He doesn't want to do anything. When Tom's not working, he would like to sit down. Okay, Joyce in her mom jeans. Wow, the mom jeans in that first shot. Those are mom jeans. She's bored. She just wants to do something. She can go do something anytime she wants. Why does he have to do it too? And at least at the... At least at the badminton club, there's reverse bingo and trivia night. What's reverse bingo? Reverse bingo is interesting. Instead of trying to get a bingo, you're trying to be the last person to be a bing- get a bingo. You're out if you get a bingo. So it's marathon bingo. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, no, it makes sense. That it must la- go on forever. It makes it last longer. I did look up reverse bingo. <laughs> I was like, what the Oh, thank is- goodness, because I thought, did you really know that? I mean, I know your mom's in the WI and stuff, but come on. Reverse bingo. That's that's second level nerd stuff, isn't it? Yep. Oh, look, <laughs> the brothers at the farm are fighting again. They're always fighting. I love when Tom goes to the cooler to talk to the townies and Kemp, the single ponytail in the episode. Right. Yep. He's a man with a ponytail. Got to be a townie. Yep. Damn townies. He is. The same character as the guy in the snug that's not Bimbo. Well, what do you know? It's the same actor. I know. <laughs> he was called Wesley in that episode in The Maiden Splendor. He's played by Peter Hugo Daly. Yeah. But he says, if you put Kingslake in a room on his own, he'd have a fight with himself. <laughs> he would. He'd start a fight with himself. Such and a I good think line. he would. <laughs> Gotta be mad at somebody. What are you looking at? I don't know. Who am I looking at? He also says he's a stickler for the rules. Do you know where that comes from? No. Mid 16th century, it's a form of a word meaning to be an umpire. Stickler? Yep. So if you're a stickler for the rules, that means that you are like a like an umpire. Like a rules lawyer. You're being a rules lawyer. But where why is it stickler? I don't know. Oh. That's all I got. Oh, okay. It's probably kind of like rule of thumb. 
Yeah. The rule of thumb, it means that you can only beat your wife with a stick smaller than your thumb. Yeah. And stickler's probably something about a stick, like a ruler. We need to talk. Follow me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then he peels out like a secret agent, and they have to run to their car. Like, excuse me, but we had a few more things to do here before we leave. Where are you going? No, no. Okay. You must come to my house. Tully's got a nice house. He does. His backyard is beautiful. And no wife in sight, like every other male character in this episode. Hey, they're all intolerable. Who would be married (laughs) to them? Right. This thing that that Tully says about the standards of golf, to play the ball as it lies, play the course as you find it. And if you can't do either, do what is fair. Which Jones repeats like it's a mantra. Is it? Kind of. Like, is it like, is that like the official rules of golf? Like the philosophy of golf? I've seen it on posters in golf courses. Okay. So it probably goes way back. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Jones says it like it's a Masonic thing. Yeah, he does. And if you can't do either, do what is fair. Um, golf. There is a whole weirdness around golf that should be ignored. I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of this, especially people who live in the UK. Well, Scotland to be specific, because they they understand mm-hmm. the solemnity, the religion that is golf. Yes. Why can't God hit a one iron? Okay. There's this joke that... If it's lightning, hold out your one iron because even God can't hit a one iron. I don't understand this joke. Okay. A one iron, like a sometimes a three iron. You usually only hit your five and seven irons. You usually don't hit a three and a one iron. They're really hard to hit. Why do you have them then? Okay. They're, what they're there for is if it, the, the tee is too close for you to use a wood, for you to use a driver club. Okay. So you use an iron instead. But if they're so hard to hit, why do they exist? Or why haven't they changed them? They sound useless. Well, they actually have changed them. Okay. So like my golf clubs have what's called a hybrid one and three. Right. And these hybrids are like, they're like mini drivers, but they're solid. So you can hit the ball with them. Yeah. Okay. I actually like my three hybrid. So Joyce's friends, the painters, used to be members at White Oaks. Yes. And they wanted to be members a really long time, and they had to work really hard to do it. And not only did they have to be, like, approved, but then they had to pass what they call the captain's dinner. Yes. Where they get, they have to sit and eat, like, a multi-course meal, and they have to do it perfectly. Which is what... Colin is, not Colin, um, Darren is training for. Darren is training for. I'm sorry. I know I'm not a joiner. (laughs) But if you told me you can't be a member unless you pass our muster at this meal, I'd say, forget it. Yeah. Goodbye. (laughs) Can you imagine eating a meal in front of people who are judging how well you eat it? And at the end of it, they're going to say you passed or you didn't. No, I didn't go to finishing school for a reason. I don't want to. Especially when I've spent a whole bunch of money to become a member already. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to make me pass this test about which fork to use. No. I'm sorry. I've been to plenty of fancy dinners. Yep. You just go from the outside in. Yep. And if they throw you by giving you something that you don't know, you use whatever works best because it's their fault for not giving you something specific to eat it with. Exactly. 12 course dinner. That's a lot of courses. The diner is always right. Yes. The person eating is always right. Yes. Whatever works best for them. It's silly. You can eat asparagus with your hands. Yes. At a fancy dinner. If it doesn't have sauce on it. If it doesn't have sauce on it. Colin 
is eating every meal at this huge setting to learn how to, I'm sorry, Darren, I get their names mixed up. Darren is eating every meal at this fancy setting, right? So he can learn how to do this. And when it, when, when it's revealed that he's doing it so that he can pass the captain's dinner and become a member of the golf club, Colin acts like he never thought that like, Oh my God, why didn't anybody ever tell me that? Why did you think he was doing that? I'm, I'm a little worried about Colin and his cognitive function. Like, didn't Colin go, what'd you eat with all that stuff for? I eat beans with my left hand. Like a shovel <laughs> on a tin plate. He gets a tin plate. And a punch to the face. Poor Colin. He works hard. He does. He, he's in love with a girl he shouldn't be, but he's not creepy with her he just loves her he's not creepy with her they do a really good job of that it's a fine line he loves her from afar a little crazy though maybe because he's been hit in the head so many times by his mother (laughs) i think so though he's much bigger than darren he could choke him out in a second he's much bigger than her mother if eileen wasn't there to defend darren (laughs) yeah colin would finish him off fast he would be pig food (laughs) we don't get signs in the autopsy room often no but boy do we have a doozy did you know that bodies go into the refrigerator feet first feet first well first of all they go on trays okay yes and on the tray you put the feet at the plug end okay then you put the tray in the fridge, feet first, and you ensure that the tray number matches the registry. Well, that's a good idea. You don't want to mix them up. I don't think they really use toe tags anymore. I don't think so. I think at most they use a hospital bracelet. Yeah. Right, to identify a body. And this is But this is a poster that has a picture of two bare feet. Yeah. (laughs) That is at head height to everybody. Yeah. Except George, because he's little. And... Has two giant bare feet on it and then the text over it. And it's a notice to all funeral directors, paramedics, police, and porters. Well, you know, those funeral directors, they're always putting the bodies in head first. All property must be tagged and entered into the registry. (laughs) There are two things I want from this episode. Okay. The The first one is coming up, and that is the map of the golf course. I want that White Hope map really badly. That map would be in every pamphlet, on every counter, everywhere in the golf course. Not that big, but it would be there. A map is like a key part of a golf course. (laughs) It is a key part of playing golf to have a map. Jones cannot get around to finding one. He's busy doing everything else, including running through the woods, getting lashed on the face by branches. That never go away and never heal. Gail Stevens... The Uber WPC who can diddle a computer gets one, prints it out on a piece of corkboard, and is the hero of the episode. Yeah. But she's she's uptight about pins, isn't she? Oh boy, is she <laughs> uptight about those pins. Okay. Like, this is my map. I love when Tom says, get a map, put some pins on it. That'll look good. <laughs> they go by a road sign. Mm-hmm. Right. At the top of this road sign is a beautiful circle that says Midsummer County. Okay. They go by this sign three times because okay. obviously they're like, we made this sign. You we got to get go some mileage it. out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
It drives me insane because it's, it has uh, two directions, right? Yes, Badger's yes. Drift is one way. Yes. And White Oaks is the other way. Yes. And it says, no, no, it's three. Coston, Badger's Drift, and White Oaks. Okay. White Oaks is a half mile away. Badger's Drift is three miles away. Okay. And Coston is 10 miles away. Okay. Why on earth does it take any time to get anywhere in this place? <laughs> because they're all driving on one lane roads and they have to pull over every time a tractor goes by. It slows you down. I guess. Or G4 Golf. Unless you're Clyde driving your Porsche. By the way, he could easily take him in for just that single activity. Yeah. And would have found blood alcohol level of whatever. One. <laughs> One hundred percent. His his body, his blood has been completely replaced with with alcohol. Is that it? He's pickled. But he's- Jones Jones talks to Monkberry, and Monkberry's like, um, I um, well, I uh, I can't really meet because I uh, I got this weird um, it's a phone call, and um, I yeah, I'm in the woods to meet somebody who's probably gonna kill kill me. Maybe he, he I, said, got, I gotta go. He said I'd be in a blue hoodie. <laughs> Look for the guy in the really ugly blue hoodie. And then when Jones shows up and finds the body, and then, of course, Crisp in his hoodie, he hangs around forever. He's Why always he there when the cops get there. Right away. He should leave immediately. But no, he, like, stands in the woods or whatever. The subtitles. He's talking to the person in the yellow jersey. Yeah. They're like, did you kill this guy? Or did I? Oh, I, yeah, that's right. I killed this guy. Um, you're in a different episode later. You're going to yes. kill somebody else. Uh, make sure you put his wallet right here where everybody can see it. Yes. When Jones starts to chase him through the woods, the subtitles say, on the move music. <laughs> it's on the move music. Cotton shows. Yes. And, you know, I think they do a good job with Cotton. He is, he is fair, and yet he is of his station. Yes. He is the senior most police officer, and he doesn't let you forget that. And yet he is supportive and he is fair. And when Tom says he doesn't like golf because he thinks it's unsporting to hit a stationary ball, Cotton doesn't say bullshit because <laughs> I would have. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just cruel to hit a ball that's holding still. It just doesn't seem fair. But when Tom says, I haven't answered your phone call because it's been a little hectic, Cotton says, okay, yeah, I can understand that. It has been. Yep. I get that. Yep. He doesn't berate him. He never raises his voice. He's never mean. No, I, I play, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Jones in the background. And then Tom says, I'm disappointed in you. Do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay. Like, you suck up. And I love Jones when they're talking to drink water. The most pathetic man ever. Oh, my, um, we're in the middle of moving. We're selling the house because we need something bigger. And his wife calls and like, yeah, um, hey, Jerry, I hate you. And I never want to see you again. And the lawyers are going to call you. And he's like, uh, never mind that message. She's stressed out yes. from the move, you know. Yeah. But Drinkwater doesn't want to talk. So Jones stands there with handcuffs. Yeah. And like clacks them together <laughs> and just takes a step forward. Every time Drinkwater is hesitant to answer a question, Jones just steps forward and does something else with the handcuffs. <laughs> Cha-chink. Ka-clunk. He may as well like hold them up to his wrists and go, yeah, these would fit you. I, yep. You know. <laughs> What, you want to try them on? See how they fit? Okay, I'll tell you everything. Did you notice the oldest TV in the world in the cooler has an aerial on top of it? 
It's clear that the cooler is supposed to be substandard. They do not get the nicest of things, but they have plenty of booze. Yeah, they do. And affordable drinks. And they get to hang out there all the time, even though they're only allowed there one day a week. Did you notice who was selling Jerry's house? No. Beauvoisin. Ah, (laughs) Of course. Olive Beauvoisin. Yep. She's selling the house. So then they go to the badminton club. The painters wear inappropriate outfits. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) Mrs. Painter. Okay, Mrs. Painter wears inappropriate outfits. She needs some pants or shorts or something. She That skirt doesn't cover her butt. It does not cover her ass. Signs include the Summer Sizzler, which is open to all. Yeah, complaints and suggestions will be submitted by letter to the committee. Yes. That's what one of the signs says. Like, don't even try to make a suggestion or complaint verbally to anybody because they don't count unless you get them in a letter. No. Better write it down. And they sit down and my favorite item appears in this episode. Okay. It is a Costin Ales beer mat. (laughs) Oh my God, I want one of those so bad. What's so special about it? I didn't notice it. It's it's Costin Ales, which we've seen in... Easily 10 episodes now. Yeah. They drop it in the background. No one makes reference to it. Anytime there's a bar where they obviously can't get the rights to the bar, to the alcohol that they're showing, mm-hmm. it says cost and ale. And there's the logo and it's on a bar mat. I'm Somebody like, worked really hard on I'm all like, that brand collateral. They're going like, to use it. I'm like, I want one of those. Badminton has a summer open day. I have a- the fountains are really good here at being real people you know sometimes there's cartoony characters in this show colin for one (laughs) drink water yeah my wife is just away (laughs) um but they're real people like he when he admits that he has the gambling problem it's oh the painters you said the fountains sorry sorry the the painters are yeah they're genuine they're they're pretty genuine there yeah they're his great lump of us. <laughs> no, we're not talking about Darren. We're talking about Colin. Yeah, when they admit to the Barnabies, who are their peers and their friends, yeah, that they got in over their head in debt and had to get out of it. That's that's pretty candid. Yeah, and you should have come and talked to me, which is the right thing. Yes. a friend says. Yeah, I could have helped you. Yeah, we could have locked up Eileen a long time ago. Plus, your wife could afford shorts then. (laughs) Is that why her skirt's so short when she's playing badminton? Because they can't afford a longer one? I'm just like... Because Becky's goes down below her knees. Yes. She has the most prudish little chick golfing outfit ever. Meanwhile, Mrs. Painter is like, I don't even need a bottom. I just wear panties while I play badminton. (laughs) The badminton club is... Is code for something else. Nobody says the word shuttlecock the whole time that they're in the badminton club. (laughs) And you know, they could have said it a lot and they never do. (laughs) What is the importance or maybe, okay, I'm framing this question wrong, but I have a question for you. So several times we get reference to the fact that Claypole cut Mrs. Fountain a deal when he laid the concrete floor in the, in the, Pig pen, yeah. right? So we're supposed to understand that she's a very tight, cheap woman. Doesn't, like, she makes pennies squeak. 
And yet she put a concrete floor in the pig pen, which is like a a luxury. Pigs can live in dirt, right? But then wouldn't he know that they had this custom box built into the floor with a lid on it? Yes. That isn't a drain that has no reason to be there? Yes. (laughs) Wouldn't he have wondered why they were doing that? Yes. Okay. Why are you building the bat cave? Yes. Like, um, does, does your pig need a basement? Or, like, what? Uh, it's a pig bath. Yeah, with a locking lid. Yeah. Okay, sure. Okay. Colin probably just looked at him, and he's like, whatever, I'll build whatever you want. Okay, that's fine. Cowboy. So they go see George to find the George clue. swinging a golf club in the middle of the morgue. What is he doing? Never mind that it's evidence. <laughs> Between two corpses, he's practicing his swing. I would be upset, except for those are the two best corpses we have seen (laughs) since. I would say those are the two best corpses we've seen since a body in a crop circle. Wow, that's big praise. Both of them. Even though when Tom is jabbing him, the one body kind of flinches a little. Because Monkberry is topless on his back on the slab. He's cold. You can tell he's cold. Yes, you can. Okay, corpses don't get goosebumps or perky nipples. It just doesn't happen. But but this one does. I think Vanda starts asleep. <laughs> <laughs> he's so good. King's like, he's like, I've been dead for two days. I'm just, just going to have a nap. Wake me up when I'm done. And there's a shot where George and uh, Barnaby are talking and... And Kingslake is between them on the slab. And it's forever. Yeah. There's no, no cuts. movement. No nothing. The sheet doesn't move. Nothing. The nose hairs don't wave around. Nope. Just rock solid. Yeah. I would think that they maybe killed him for that moment. Rupert Vandestart, wherever you are, kudos to you. Yeah. You are a good corpse actor, sir. But, you know, Monkberry, played by Hugh Ross, is not bad. No. Except for the tiniest flinch, he's not bad. And he can't control his perky nipples. <laughs> no, he can't. It's cold. <laughs> you can't blame him for that. <laughs> Thank God the badminton lady didn't have the same problem. <laughs> oh, you're so wrong. <laughs> I say that as I'm talking about a corpse's nipples. <laughs> oh. Colin parks the lawnmower right at the only door of the cooler. Now, first, it's weird that the door opens out. Yes. Because normally external doors open in. But luckily, there's someone to fiddle with it. Yeah. To diddle with it. (laughs) So, Stevens gets to drive the big mower. Yeah, and she knows what she's doing. Well, no, she doesn't look like she knows what she's doing. She's like, oh, it's moving. Oh, okay. I guess that worked. Okay, back. Watch out. I'm backing up. I'm moving three feet. Okay, look out. There's only one door in and out of this place, yeah. and the windows don't open. Yeah, that's a fire It's problem. not a cooler. It's a death trap. <laughs> we'll get all the townies in the cooler, and then we'll park the land- lawnmower there, and then we'll light it on fire. Kingslake would have thought that was a great way to get rid of all of them. <laughs> they figured it out. It's, it's crisp. Yes. He's killing off the entire membership committee so that he can be the only vote. So get, he makes reference to other members to on get the Darren in. Yes. Well, what I'm assuming is that do they say it has to be a majority or does everybody have I to vote yes? They say one. I think they say that it has to be a, a complete agreement. But he's Dulali. 
because he tries to commit murder on a busy golf course. Out in the open. In the middle of the day on one of the opening holes. Yes. Well, there's some tall grass there. (laughs) So if somebody sees him from a distance, they really won't see Tully. They'll just think he's like whacking a hedgehog or something. And the whole motive is that he wants his house and he kind of screams his motive. By the way, if you're. If, <laughs> I just want my house back. Okay, you're, you're going to the big house now. If you're writing a, a mystery story, screaming. And the killer out. has to scream the motive to make it clear to everybody. Yeah. And Crisp almost sounds like he doesn't believe it either. I only did this to get my house. All I wanted was my house. I think if he had said to Tully, look, I know that you don't like Darren and I completely agree with you, but here's the deal. I really want my family house back and this is the only way I can get it. Will you vote with me? Will you do this one thing for me? I think Tully would have said yes. I think he would have said yes. At least he would have listened. I think everybody but Kingslake would have said yes. Yeah. If If he had explained to them, they've got me over a barrel. Yeah. I just want my family home back. And this just, is the only yeah. way I can do it. They would have been like, look, Darren's a shit and we don't want him in the club. But there are other people who are jerks, too, and they're in. So, yeah. OK, I think they would have done it. I think so. Then we have this long corrected ending with the fountains mm-hmm. where Colin has kidnapped sort of Becky and takes her to the pigsty and offers her all the money. And it's implied that the pig eats the money, but the pig doesn't even seem interested in the, the money. The pig's just stomping on the money. Yeah. I think it's it's to let us know that Eileen's plans are in the dirt. Yeah. And I'm glad that Barnaby sees the whole family dynamic. He sees that Eileen is cruel to yes, Colin. Absolutely. So he will know that whole situation. He'll understand that. He knows everything that's going on, and including getting tied into going to play badminton. Oh, my leg. I forgot my racket. What's he say? I forgot my stick or my hammer or my, he doesn't call it a racket. I don't know. And Joyce is like, what do you know? I brought it with me. It's okay. Oh, no. I got a hamstring. Yeah. Wait, I forgot my pants. And the woman would like, be like, it's okay. It's I don't okay. Wear I don't wear any pants anyway. <laughs> You have a towel. That's good. Put the towel on. Let's play. Put this, your keys in the fishbowl. <laughs> biggest. Oh, they're creepy. Biggest. <laughs> they're badminton creepy. Biggest badminton club with only one badminton court. Well, that no, there's at least two. Okay. Because when Tom's leaving to go change, the sign above the door says changing rooms and court two. Oh, okay. So there's two courts. There's at least two. But there's a bar big enough to play reverse bingo at. Okay. Where are you from? Canada. Yes. How many curling rinks have a gigantic bar? Oh. How many hockey rinks have a gigantic bar? Not the hockey rinks. Those are for kids. Okay. But the curling rinks. They, they have bars. Yeah. They got enough room for, you know, six or eight games of curling to be going on and a pub big enough to hold 100 people. Well, yeah. So you can watch the curling. <laughs> So you can watch the badminton. Okay. And play reverse bingo. Not wear pants. I have got three amazing bad movies okay. for you. Do you want to do best? Do we even need to do best corpse? I think it's pretty clear who you think the best corpse is. It's pretty clear, but we'll still do it. Nice corpse. Well, we don't need to do it. No, I, I'm going to say it's a tie. Okay. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think it's fair. To compare 
Kingslake and Monkberry on par with each other. I think Kingslake is like, he's like the black tea of corpses. Yes. And Monks, Monksberry is like the red tea of corpses. But for a red tea, he does great. He does great for a red tea. So I'm going to say it's a tie. I'll, I'll go with that. You like that? I used yep. some golf terminology there. You did. Are you impressed? You did. All right. I am, I'm, it's a draw. Yep. <laughs> Are you ready for some bad movies? So that's Best Corpse. Let's go. Oh, bad boy. Bad movies. Oh, boy. <laughs> this movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. Okay, the first one is from 1966. Okay. John Standing is in it. He plays Will Tunstall in this episode. Yep. Okay. Who played the school teacher? Charles. Yeah, yep. He's Charles, Charles Rust, Rust in Bad Tidings. Yep. Yes. The star of this movie, however, is Patrick Weimark, who is Jane Weimark's father. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, baby. I didn't even know Joyce's dad acted. Yes. The tagline is, Mother, may I go out to kill? Are you ready for the description? Oh, hit me. Okay. Four men who were involved in the investigation of a German millionaire at the end of World War II are found murdered with tiny dolls next to their corpses. Dolls, murder. Is it black and white? Yes, I think so. I think this is black and white. Yeah. I don't know the name of it. I don't know. It's called Psychopath. Psychopath. Mm-hmm. Okay. Patrick Weimark is in a lot of things. I guess we missed. You got to look him up. Yeah. He's in a lot of stuff. But never a midsummer. No. And this is the first crossover between a movie he's in and a midsummer. Okay. That I've seen, unless he's like very low down in the credits in another movie that overlapped. So he was a star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's one point for me for Psychopath 1966. Okay. All right. The next one. Also has John Standing in it. Okay. It's from 1987. Okay. A professor hires a spaceship to get to the source of weird signals from deep space. The trip is cut short, however, when the ship's computer gets jealous because the captain is in love with one of the female passengers, and it becomes homicidal. Tagline, in space, there's no escape from when you cannot see. (laughs) Isn't that a great tagline? No, it's horrible. so, So what year was this? 1987. Okay, so this takes 2001, right? Mm-hmm. And mixes it with Alien in this space. This is before Alien. It's before Alien? Yeah. In space, no one can hear you scream. Well, okay, I'm going to say the book that this is based on came out before Alien. Okay. So it's based on a novella by George R.R. R. Martin, who wrote Game of Thrones. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, what? baby. I, I know I've looked this up because I looked up R.R. R. Martin stuff. Don't I don't know this. Night Flyers, 1987. I think I've seen that, but I don't remember oh, anything it, about it. That's a point for me. Yeah. Okay, this third one I'm kind of nervous about because okay. I think you might get it. Okay. Hugo Ross is in this. He plays Ed Monkberry, the second yep. best corpse. Yep. Okay. Committee member number two. Yes. 1990. A community of mutant outcasts of varying types and abilities attempts to escape the attention of a psychotic serial killer and redneck vigilantes. <laughs> Do you want a hint? Yeah. Stars Craig Schaefer. No. It was written by Clive Barker. Oh, Nightbreed. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's a point for me or not. If I hadn't told you Clive Barker, I don't think you would have got it. 
Okay, because it's a poor description. Okay, I'm going to give myself half a point. No, I'm getting the full point because I saw <laughs> Nightbreed when it opened at the theater. Okay, I thought you might get this one. Yeah. What's a better description of it? Uh, the magical mutants being haunted hunted by a serial killer. I don't know what else to call. Let's say. Yeah. David Cronenberg plays the serial killer. Yes. I'm, I wasn't even going to tell you that because oh, I knew you'd pick it right soon, out of the air. As soon as you told me that. Yeah, Nightbreed, I went to see at the theater. Uh, I was way into, uh, is it during college years? I went, like. Yeah, 1990, you would have been 20. Yeah, we went to see the premiere of this movie. Still, I get two for three. Two for three. Two points to me, one I point to you. definitely get Nightbreed, yeah. Night Flyers and Nightbreed. Yes, and Psychopath. 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 Patrick Weimark. Um, Jane Weimark's got a couple of siblings that are actors, too. Oh, Anybody we know? Have they been on Minsum? They're all Weimarks. Oh. Um, no, they're not. I mean, not huge. Her her dad was big, though. Okay. Her dad was a big deal. Well, I'm assuming she's married, and so that's not her actual name now. Um, actors keep whatever name they want. And yeah. She still goes by yeah. her maiden name, yeah. Weimark, because yeah. when she started acting, she wasn't married yet. I don't know. I don't know about her married status. I've never looked into Jane Weimark's family. Poor Jane Weimark. But now I will because yes. I want to see what else her dad has been in and what her siblings have been in. After the credits? Yeah. Okay. Colin doesn't have much of a life now. No. Poor Colin. If he doesn't go to jail because some people are going to come out and say that he, like... I don't think he's going to get blamed for anything. He may have roughed some people up or threatened some people, but it was all because his mom made him. Yeah, and Darren's not going to jail. But no. I don't know if they get to keep that money. I think the money is going to be the product of a criminal enterprise that Eileen is going to be blamed for. Oh, Eileen's going to the pokey. Eileen's going to jail, which means that Darren and Colin are going to be out of that house because I think it's on the golf course estate. Yeah. I think they live there because they're the caretakers. They'll just be fighting in the ditches now. So the two of them will have to go and try to live together. Yeah. And that would be a show in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting brothers. Lug and fancy brother living together. What's his name gets to keep his house? Probably sell it to somebody for $2 Yeah, Will, Will Tunstall and his daughter, Becky, Becky. Uh, will have a multi-million dollar home that they can sell to somebody else. Yeah. But we know who, who gets off the best in this episode. Who? King, uh, what's her Sarah name? Sarah Kingslake. Yes. The wife of Alistair Kingslake. She is... Tap dancing all the way to the French Riviera. Ding dong, the jerk is dead. Da -de 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 -da -da -da. He bullied everybody. Poor Jerry Drinkwater, his wife's left him. He's got to sell his house. He's going to, maybe he'll move in with Colin and Darren and they'll share a little flat, the three of them. <laughs> and be, be sad together. Uh, I think the townies are going to be fine. They'll probably get to play a little bit more golf. I think they might. Maybe. The, the golf course has no captain now. Who's going to be the new captain at the golf course? Mm, that's true. It still has a president, though. Yeah. Will Tun Tunstall is the president. So I think he'll be do one of those power grabs and be like, I'll be president and captain. And captain. Clyde's going to get fired. Yeah. Clyde's getting fired. So he can go off and live in the bachelor pad with the other Chris three. Chris was the only one who was keeping him on anyway. Right. I mean, he's, yeah, he's way past it. The next membership committee meeting is going to be interesting because they'll have lots to talk about. Yeah. It'll just be Will Tunstall sitting there. Yeah. I guess I'm in charge now. Well, no, Tully will 
could be there if Tully's like, I want nothing to do with golf ever again because I'm traumatized. I was in the fetal position in some weeds begging for my life. Yeah. I don't like this game that much. Maybe he'll show up at the badminton place and play some badminton. Well, does he have enough pants? He had some pretty decent pants. He, he can did. borrow the mom jeans if he does. Yeah. And that's it. Yep. That is Dog Leg Murders, season 12, episode one. One irons and perky nipples. Episode 68 will be uh, season 12, episode two, The Black Book. Mm, it's about a painting. Ooh, it's, of a vicar fishing. It's got, uh, it's got auctions and paintings and nakedness. Joyce it's, is on another committee. Yep. All <laughs> sorts of good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Until then. Oh, we forgot the one announcement. Yes. The big important thing. Next week. Yes. We will be releasing our annual Midsummer Murders Christmas parody song. So last year we, we did, did 12 Days of Christmas. 12 Days of Christmas. All we did was just make a little graphic and post it. This year. Well, we're going audio. Full production, baby. Video extravaganza. Yeah. Yes. And we've chosen a song that's a little bit classier. I'm yep. not going to say which one it is, but it's a little classier. There will be singing. In the meantime, We've enlisted help. Yes. In the meantime, we challenge you yes. to create your own parody verse of a holiday song with a midsummer theme. Yes. Post your lyrics, even if it's just one verse, one chorus, whatever. Tell us what tune it's set to. Um, post it to Reddit or email it to us or tweet it or Instagram it, whatever. Any of those good things. Share the love. It's only three weeks to Christmas and we don't even know how when we're going to take off or if we're going to take off any time. Or I anything. don't have gifts. I Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. 2020. But hey, if you send us The soon, fastest, slowest year ever. <laughs> if you send us your parody lyrics soon, maybe we'll record a little, mel- a little, uh, oh. Or at least do dramatic readings of them, at the very least. Okay, what's the word for when? A medley. Yeah. If you send them soon, maybe we'll find some time. To do a medley. We'll do a little medley. A little montage. A little montage. Of various parody songs. Now, just so you know. I can't sing very well. Sarah sings very well. But one of our children sings the best. Yes. So it may be one of our children. And we have software that makes people sound better. Yes. And we will be using that. We'll be auto-tuning it, baby. Oh, boy, will we be auto-tuning it. But that's going to be your Christmas present. We're going to give that to you guys next week. Yep. Um, Merchandise is available. Please... Help goes, us. All the money goes to direct relief. All the money goes to direct relief. And, and we may have a few um, new products out yep. next week, too. Some new products are in the pipeline. Yeah. Yep. Some exciting things. Some different things. Yes. Some more surprises. So, yep. until then, bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. interviewed over the research that we were doing in a virtual world and they asked me all the like salacious questions like i collected so much data i'd done so much research i'd spent so many hours doing this work and all they wanted to ask me about was hey is there sex in there are people rude in there is there nudity in there and they totally 
uh, if you have to ask me, yes, where there's people, there there will be that behavior. Then they interview you and they ask you all the smarty smart questions. Yep, it's and total then edit it together. Edit it together to make me sound uh, totally horrible, like a sex fiend. Yeah. And you sounded erudite and smart. Yep. Thanks. Well, it's the way it is. Jerks. Too bad they don't know the real truth. 